Welcome to the River City Church podcast and a message by our lead pastor, Jason Powers. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. We begin every week with our confession. And 1 John 1, 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just. He forgives us and he purifies us. And so certainly this is a part of the thing. And we just go and say, Lord, what, what do I need to confess? Like what's, what's broken, what's missing? And he'll, and he'll show you. It's not always, though, just like, you know, hey, I kicked the cat or, or whatever, whatever it is. Confession before the Lord can simply just be, Lord, I'm sad today. Lord, I'm heavy. Lord, I'm grieving. Lord, I don't know that I have the energy and the strength. The idea behind confession is it is the acknowledgement of the reality. It is practicing the reality of our belief that God is here. We don't worship a God who's far away. He is with us. And so it is confession is simply the practice of being open and available to God. And we begin each week with that. So will you take a moment and just quiet your heart before the Lord and turn your eyes and your senses to him. Jesus, help us believe that you're here with us. And that changes everything. That means that you're the word. And so your word is alive. And so as we get ready to open your word, I pray that we would come as worshipers. But a part of that, a part of you dealing with us is you meet us where we are. And so, Father, I pray today for those who are um, afraid or alone or grieving or sad. I pray for those today who are joyful and exuberant and hopeful. And I pray that we would meet you there. And I pray that we would find our hope and our place in you. And Jesus, we believe that you rejoice with us when we rejoice in righteousness. And we believe that you grieve with us when we grieve because you love us. And so Father, forgive us when we fail you. Forgive us for our sins. Restore us. We ask, Jesus, these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. And because we believe that we received grace, because we believe that he loves us and he sees us, this is our confession. We say we are badly broken. Yes, you are. Grace and peace to you. Today we finish our, was it 100 weeks? We've been doing 100 weeks on the Sermon on the Mount, or is it just seems like that? Something like that, right? We've been, uh, I think this is number nine or number 10, and we've been going through it. And um, there's a lot there. You know, you could teach the Sermon on the Mount for like for 100 weeks, and it just continues to, to unpack and, and, and unfold. And the Lord kind of draws it and, and draws it out and applies it to our lives. There's this current, there's this topic, this theme that runs underneath kind of all of, all of the topics in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is coming to, and it's this idea of restoration. Restoration is an important and a vital topic for understanding the Scripture and our journey with God, because in the beginning, we're told that God created the heavens and the earth, and we're told that it was good. In Genesis 1 and 2, there was a garden, and man was there with God. Mankind, Adam and Eve, mankind was there with God in the garden that was perfect and it was what it was supposed to be and we were created that and then you go to revelation 21 and 22 and again we find we're told that god's dwelling place is with his people among them and we're told that the old order of things 
has passed away. And so we find a garden in God's good presence in that garden. And we find that someday things will be restored to that place. And we are currently stuck in the middle. And so really, as Jesus talks to us about the kingdom, what he's talking to us about is restoration, about setting things right. And he gets very specific about the restoration. He's talking about restoring people to the image of God in their vocation, in their work, in what they do, right? When he said, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. He's saying that your identity isn't derived or established out there somewhere but rather in the presence of God. He came to restore his people. He came to restore the idea of righteousness from an external set of behaviors to an internal position of neighbor and enemy love, which flows from our love for God. He came to restore our religion to the intimate practice of the intimate presence of God in closets, rewards given and done in secret. So Jesus is pointing us and he talks, you know, and he's talking to these, we've called them ragamuffins. We've called them the, you know, the unlovelies and they've been around. And what Jesus is pointing to is a day when it's coming in this time. He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Restoration is coming. The problem is that may have been difficult for many of them to believe. Difficult times, hard situations undermine our confidence that God is up to something good or maybe they undermine our confidence that God is at all. I told the story of my grandmother before. My dad's mom, she was a Holocaust survivor. She was in, um, she was in the Auschwitz concentration camp. She, her, she was being transported on a train and blew up and whatever. And several, many years later, when I, as a teenager, was wrestling with my faith and what it meant and the practical application, I remember sitting in a room with her and I remember her, I called her Gumma because she was, um, because in her thick, broken German accent, she said grandmother like grandmother. And so when I was four, I called her Gumma. So my Gumma, I remember sitting across with my Gumma and her looking at me saying very as lovingly but as directly as she could, if you had seen the things that I have seen, you could not believe in God. Difficult times challenged her faith. She couldn't recognize pain and suffering and indeed fallenness with the idea of faith. When I was at the church before, I was the small group pastor, and I remember there was this one small group that was praying fervently for a guy named Johnny, and Johnny was a coach. He coached uh, in the high school. He was a wrestling coach, and Johnny, this, this wife, her name was Treva, and she was this wonderful lady, and she would go to her small group every week for, for a year, for more, and she's just praying for her husband. I pray that he would come to know the Lord. I pray that he would know the Lord, that he would get his life right. And one week out of nowhere, Johnny says to his wife, I'll go to church or I'll go to small group with you tonight, a group of friends that they knew. And so Johnny and Treva go to small group. And that night at the end of the small group, Johnny in tears breaks down and says, whatever this is, I want it. And he gave his life to Jesus in that small group. And then the very next morning, Johnny went to the doctor and was diagnosed with cancer that would take his life within six months. What do you do? Where is God in that? Difficult times, hard moments, hard instances make us question or doubt or wonder, where is God? What is God up to? And life is certainly uncertain. And I think that's the thing that my grandmother was wrestling with. The deep and ultimate brokenness of people, of humanity. That's why we need 
restoration. And so it brings up this idea that I think is relevant to us today, that God is working. And when we feel that pain and the hurt, it reveals misplaced hope. When we have placed our hope in something and that hope doesn't deliver for us, we get sad, we grieve, we get broken. Here's the thing, and it's relevant. I wrote it. Here's the thing. If our hope is in in a human institution, you will be disappointed. Some are feeling that acutely today. And if that's you, my heart hurts for you, and I grieve with you. It was coming the whole time. For those today who are seeing maybe human institutions and they are celebrating, hey, we got it right, get ready, it's coming. Human institutions will always fall and fail. They will always leave us disappointed precisely because they are human, because they are in infu- they. Everywhere they go, we're there with them. And so when we place our hope in other places and other things, we will be disappointed. And so Jesus comes and talks about a narrow way. He talks about a narrow gate. He says, yeah, there's a big, broad street last week. He's like, there's a big, broad way, and you can walk down that way. It's wide, and it's crowded, and you can take all of your stuff. And he said, and it leads to destruction. It's the way of hoping and believing in outside things or things here that will save all of us. Jesus says, you'll be disappointed. It leads to destruction. So how is it that we choose the narrow way, even when it's tough? And even if we do, if we finally go, okay, so I'm off of the the big broad way, and I think, you know, like uh, there's a prophet, uh, 1950s, a guy named A.W. Tozer, and he had this great statement. He said, the masses, when it comes to religion, the masses are always wrong. So Jesus calls us down this narrow road. And if you were last week, or even if you're here today and you go, I want that. I reckon is maybe your heart is broken or your heart is grieved and you're sad and you just go, I want that. I want the narrow way. I, I, want, I want to go that way. And so you go, okay, I choose that. Then what? Then what do we do? When Jesus wraps up and he finishes with a metaphor, with an analogy, he says this. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Jesus doesn't say anyone who hears these words of mine and agrees to them or assents to them or believes in them or gets them tattooed on his arm or puts a fish on his car. He says, whoever hears these words and practices them is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. So you can imagine in the Middle East, you know, it's like they would have deserts. They would be all of this sand and hard mud and clay and underneath would be the bedrock. And so what Jesus is saying, is whoever hears these words of mine and does the hard work of digging out all the garbage, all of the dirt and all the stuff down onto bedrock and says, I'll build my house there. He says, whoever builds his word, his house on the rock, then the rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But... Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. He doesn't say doesn't believe them. Again, you can believe them. You can look at them and go, yes, I agree with that. Puts them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus, after all of these difficult teachings, right? It's not enough to just not kill people. You're not supposed to 
entertain anger and hatred for people. Yeah, you're not supposed to cheat on your spouse, but you're also not to just cheat with fantasies in your brain. You're not, you're supposed to practice your religion for Jesus, not for others to see. And so he says, if you walk in this and as you practice, he says, you'll be built like a house on a rock. Now notice what Jesus didn't say. When Jesus is giving options and choices this way or that way, Jesus never presented an option without storms. There was no path, no road where Jesus says, and if you choose this road, nothing bad will ever happen. He never said that if you follow me, you'll be wealthy. If you follow me, you'll be healthy for all of your life. If you follow me, nothing bad will ever happen. Jesus never said that. In fact, he said, the storm is coming, the waters will rise, and you will be in the middle of it. There is no one who doesn't experience storms And the contrast that he gives us is those who think about their foundation and those who don't. The one that, the guy didn't come, the second guy didn't come in and go, you know what? I'm pretty sure I can just build it on the sand. The guy didn't stop. He didn't stop to think about his foundation. One person stepped back and said, you know what? If I want this to last, it's got to be able to withstand the storm. So I need to get down on the rock. He thought about the foundation and built on it. The other one just wanted his house. And you know what? He was probably fine for a little while, but then the rains come. Then the waters rise. And we know all about that. We live in New Braunfels. We've seen that. We've seen the floods, right? And so Jesus gives us this idea as he's talked about this kingdom and he's talked about about restoration and he's talked about all of these ideas. He's really said, the idea is those who practice obedience experience restoration in the kingdom. If you want to know your created God-intended purpose, the design that is in you, the path, the key is obedience. Listen, you are not somewhere out there to be discovered. Eat, pray, love. Oh, if I can just, that's dumb. (laughs) Listen, it's fine as a movie, I guess, wherever you go, but it's like a life philosophy. First of all, never mind. (laughs) That's a whole different sermon. (laughs) You're not out there somewhere to be discovered in an experience. Life is not something to be grabbed on or searched. It's not hidden under rocks somewhere. Life is created and designed by God for you on purpose. And as he calls us to walk in life and in purity and in love and in forgiveness and in grace and in redemption, and as he calls us to walk in that, he's calling us to walk in the plan and the design that he created for us He has called us to live a life, to build a life suited for eternity. He, let me say that again. He has called us to live and build a life suited for eternity. Now we have to acknowledge and understand eternity and time are different. So if we're building a life suited for eternity, there are aspects of that that will be fundamentally incompatible with things that are built for time. You see? They're different. And so as Jesus calls us to live, there are things that will look different. There are things that will make us uncomfortable in this present world. And so the idea is if our life never looks out of step with everyone around us, we're doing something, but we may not be walking on that narrow path. And I don't say this with condemnation. I say this with urgency and I say this with warning and I say this hopefully with humility and with an invitation to make sure 
to make sure. So Jesus uses this analogy of, of building, right? Building a house, building a house that's going to stand, that's going to stand forever, that's going to stand the storm. So what that means, our choice, as we talk about the narrow way, the right ways, our choice really is, are we building our lives for now or are we building our lives for forever? It's one or the other, and it can't be both. Paul uses this same analogy of buildings and foundations. And you go to 1 Corinthians in chapter 3 and listen to what Paul says. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. So he's, Paul went to a city called Corinth and while he was there, he planted a church and it started to grow and Corinth became a thriving, growing church. Both of the letters, 1 and 2 Corinthians, are letters written from Paul to these people. And note what Paul says, right? He says, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Remember what Jesus says? It's wise to consider your foundation. So Paul says, I laid this foundation. He said, now someone else is building on it. In your lives and in your gathering, something is growing up. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation, listen, other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you build on my words and my teachings, then you will stand. And Paul is reiterating this. He says, listen, it's not about Paul, it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus' life, it's about his way, it's about where he's going. No one can lay any foundation other than Jesus. If anyone builds, okay, so now this is us, right? And we just go, oh, we need to build, right? Jesus said, build. If anyone builds uh, on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, that's one kind of algae, right? And those are tough, they're strong, they're rare, but they'll endure, right? If anyone builds with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, right? Flammable, easily destroyed, right? Uh, wood, hair, straw, their work their building will be shown for what it is. It will be shown to be eternal or it will shown to be temporal. Their work will be shown because the day will branch light. What day? The day of the storm, the day of the fire. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a ward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping. So Paul is really taking the same metaphor and the same analogy that Jesus used about a house and you've got to build. But he goes there, he says, listen, what you're building, what you build your life with matters because not everything that you do, not everything that you build your life on will withstand, it will endure. And Jesus has shown us and he has talked about us, talked to us about his instructions and his directions and the kingdom, the kingdom is like, right? It's like a mustard seed and you plant it and it grows and then it fills the whole the whole earth. And he talks about all of these ways of knowing and understanding the kingdom. And what Jesus said is it's not what you think about those things. It's about how you walk them out. And Paul says the same thing. What are you building on? And so if we're going to do as Jesus said, if we're going to do as Paul instructed, if we're going to build a house to last, he gives us instruction. The first thing that we need to do is check your foundation. So this is the question for you. Upon what is your life built? Another way of thinking about it is, what is the thing that if it was taken away, it would cause you great distress? What thing, here's a great question. Is that here or is that for the next time, right? Imagine there was a time 
where we weren't able to meet together like this. I know it's a stretch. I know you can't possibly fathom that. (laughs) If this meeting went away, would your faith stand? If not, then this is your foundation. And let me just tell you, this is changing and this will look different tomorrow than it does today. What are you building? Because here's the thing. If someone came tomorrow and said, you can't do this anymore, you can't meet here and you can't gather, you know what I would do? I would be sad and I would grieve. But here's the deal. You can't take the scripture away from me because you know what? You can't pass a law that says I can't love my neighbor and love my enemy. And you know what will happen? I will invite this row to my house and we will have dinner. And you know what we'll do at, my, at dinner at my house? We'll pray together. And we'll sing a song and we will talk about the scripture. And what if they outlaw the Bible and you can't have the Bible anymore? It's happened before. Then what? Then we'll talk about what we will remember and we will do our best to follow the Lord. Can't outlaw that. Remember, talk about fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faith, and gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is what? There's no law. You can't, you can't outlaw those things. So Upon what is your foundation? What are you building with? What if you lost your house or your cars or your health or your family? What if the unthinkable happened? What would it take to shake your confidence and your faith in God? If it's a Supreme Court decision, your faith is in the wrong place. If it is a presidential election, your faith is in the wrong place. If it is a war or a famine or a hurricane or a holocaust, your faith is in the wrong place. Does that mean that we don't get sad about those things? Absolutely not. We grieve as those who grieve. But we grieve because we know that that's not God's best, that that's not God's design. And we grieve over the the realization and the awareness that we still live in a fallen world. But we know that God builds all things. We know that God redeems and restores. So the question for you is, what is your foundation? One of my great, one of my favorite 21st century or 20th century theologians, uh, Robert Zimmerman, you know him as Bob Dylan, he had a great theological quote and he said, everybody is going to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but everybody's going to serve somebody. The second way that we build our life is to choose intentionally how we build, to build our lives intentionally. Moses, right, great man, the most humble man that ever lived. He called, he faced down Pharaoh, led the people through the wilderness for 40 years, and then he died. And the people of Israel were like, dang it, now what? And God was like, no, I gave you Joshua. And Joshua was this young man, and he was strong, and he was vibrant, and he was among the people. And he led the people of Israel on a conquest of the Holy Land. And they gathered the Holy Land, and they were, and then as Joshua stood and prepared to die as he stood with his family at the very end of his life. He gathered all of the people of Israel, the people who had seen the things that he had said, and he gathered them around and he said this, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is a picture of someone who has chosen the narrow way. You're welcome to do whatever you want. 
When it comes to me and my household, we will serve. And that is what Joshua is accountable for. Oh, Lord, everybody's falling away from you. What about your house? Is your house serving the Lord? Oh, Lord, every, there's so much unrighteousness. I've had discussions with the Lord. He takes my company, right? When I call, he'll talk to me, right? He doesn't talk audibly, but we have time. And sometimes, like, I see things, I'm like, Lord, how are you? Where are you? What are you doing? Lord, why are people so mean all the time, right? And the Lord lovingly and graciously, right, is like, again, not, I don't audible voices, but just this sense, right? The Lord's like, Jason, I am so sorry that you are so shocked that people can be mean. He says, Jason, I'm not that shocked. I know. And in that moment, I realized like, oh yeah, they were mean to him too. Am I building my life on the approval of others? Am I choosing what will make me popular or what will make me comfortable? Am I choosing what will make people like me? Or am I choosing the narrow way? Whatever it might cost, whatever it might take. Here's a question to, to decide whether you're building your life intentionally or not. Do you pay as much attention to your spiritual future as you do to your retirement account? Are you as interested in the growth of your spirit as you are in the growth of your 401k? Are you as committed to developing your children's walk with Jesus as you are to developing their curveball or their football? What are we committed to? What are we building? Because nobody will accidentally find themselves redeemed and restored and following Jesus. It must be a choice, moment by moment, day by day, where we decide the narrow path and what will we build. So we're talking about now checking your foundation, okay? The foundation is Jesus. But then once we got a foundation, right, like the foundation is easy. Like we just built our, we built a house six months ago or whatever, found it, got foundation, poor, we're like, whoa, it's no time now. False. That's the easy part, right? So the foundation is easy, but what we build around it, right? And so we talk about building intentionally, but what does that mean? How do I do that? Do I just go to church? Do I have to give more? Do I have to serve more? Do I have to do whatever? Well, listen, the idea, that, here's the mindset. Okay, Jesus talked about the test, right? And he talked about water. Paul talked about fire. But the idea is everything that we do, everything that we build is going to come up, right? So we talked about like gold and silver and, and stones and wooden hands. So what does that mean in our life? How do, we, how do we do that, right? So as we're intentionally pursuing, and I hope you're like, I want that. I, I want to get through the storms. It seems like we got a storm every other week, right? It seems like every day we turn up and there's a new storm. I want to not be destroyed. I want to not be toppled by that. The way that we do that is you build your life with kingdom materials, you have to be, and so this is the distinction, right? Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, right? Some of those things will withstand the fire. Other of those things won't withstand the fire. But here's the thing. The fire's coming. A fire is coming. You say often, because it's so important to remember, and you can quote it with me. The mortality rate for the human race continues to hover right around 100%. That day will show, and here's what I mean. If your life has been built on and around and for you, then on the day that you die, your story is over. If we build our life on the kingdom, on materials that will last, materials that will endure, on people and on life, then 
what we have built, what we're told in the scripture will endure. And listen, real quick, side note, right? Like this makes some people nervous, right? Like, are you talking about salvation? Are you saying that we're gonna be judged based on our works? I am not saying you will be judged based on your works. Paul said that. And Jesus said that. Take it up with them. How can I be? I mean, it just says it, right? It says there's going to be a fire and your life is going to end. And then what lasts is going to last. I, I don't know. What I know is Jesus takes the building of our lives very seriously. And he gives us what we need to do. So the question then is, what are those things, right? Tell me, pastor, how can we have all the things? How can we build a life that lasts? Well, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 13 and you just go, oh, all the time, love, right? No, the end of that. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, listen, Paul says, and now... These three remain, faith, hope, and here it is, love. But the greatest of these is love. Do you want to build a life that will endure? Do you want to build a life that is going to withstand the test, that's going to withstand the flood, that's going to withstand the fire? Build into your life faith, hope, and love. What about faith? These are things. Here's my deal. Here's what I say. Every opportunity that you have to build faith, take it. And what faith says, right, Hebrews 11, 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and it's certain of what we do not see. Faith believes that this moment in time is not the culmination of everything and everything goes downhill from here. Faith says the story's not over yet. Faith says history isn't done being written. Faith says Jesus has not yet been fully vindicated through all the earth, but it's coming. And I believe that. And so what faith says is I can believe that what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and all of Matthew and Mark, and I can believe what Jesus says and I can live like that because it's not done yet. And when it's done, that is what reality is going to be like. So take every opportunity you can to practice faith. Love somebody that is unlovable that makes you a little nervous. Can I love this person? They're bad. I mean, can I serve them? Like, I mean, serve them. Do it publicly. Walk down the street having a conversation with someone that will make people go, because you know who's not going, Jesus. Because you know who that person is? Now, that person may be one of a couple of things, right? They may say, I'm a Christian, but they may just be living like hell, and they just may just be denying everything like that. And so we stand back and go, you're bad. You're terrible. You're a pox on the name, right? But you know what Jesus is saying? He's like, they haven't got it yet, and I want them to get it. Can you help them? Can you love them? Like, why don't you just go talk to them and, and just show them and just, like, and, just, and just love them? You're like, but they're sinners. <laughs> Jesus is like, What? Is that the criteria? Because you'll be lonely. Just because they have a different sin set than you have doesn't mean that they are more appropriate. Does that mean that they are more loved? Do you know the people, the other people, right? Maybe they're following you. Maybe they don't know Jesus at all. In the church, sometimes we call them lost people. Do you know what Jesus calls them? The people that I miss the most. My kid, Jackson, my little son, he works. He's got a summer job and during the day he's gone and I miss him. I miss my kid during the days. I don't want to talk to him and make fun of him or like that. That's how Jesus is. Maybe he doesn't make fun of him, right? But maybe he does. You don't know, right? The people whose lives we find intolerable and unaccessible, unacceptable are the people that Jesus says, if they just had me, it would be different. But that takes faith. 
It takes faith to believe that Jesus isn't going to judge your life based on some moral standard that the scripture says you can never live up to anyway. That's the great thing about the moral standard in the scripture. It's called the law. Or we'll take Jesus' Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, right? And the point of all of that is you all fall short. So if you're dividing and separating based on keeping the law or not keeping the law, you're excluding yourself. So let's not do that. Let's take in faith that Jesus' love is enough to change us and transform us and redeem us. So we believe, we have faith that God is active and that God is working. The second thing is hope, right? So faith is this idea, right? God is alive, God is real, and what he's doing is good. What that leads to as we walk out is hope. When we encounter a situation that seems hopeless, our hope is, man, I almost choked there, excuse me. This is so exciting, right? Hope is so powerful, right? Because here's the thing about hope. Hope says not yet does not equal not ever. Hope says, oh, yeah, well, it's not done yet. Well, let's just keep going, right? I'm a terrible, um, well, I'm not a terrible, but I'm not a great, like, griller cooker. Um, so I've learned how to eat my meat raw because it's undercooked, right? Because <laughs> I always pull it off too fast, right? Hope says, wait a minute. Let it get to nice, a good mid-rare, and you'll be fine. Then get it off, right? Hope says it's still cooking. Hope says the story's not done yet. I read last week Philippians 4, 6, and 7, right? It said it'd be a good one to memorize, right? Don't be anxious about anything, right? But listen, here's what hope looks like in practice. I want to go back to verses before that, verse 4. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. That word always means always. And so the problem is... For a long time, I think Christians and churches were like this. <laughs> everything's fine, everything's fine. That's not what it says. What it says is we're able to stand here and go, a lot of stuff is garbage, but I'm surrounded by people who love me and who care for me. I'm a part of the church and I have Jesus, and so I can rejoice even in this. I can rejoice that the story isn't over. Paul tells us why. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evidence to all. Listen, the Lord is near. That's our hope. That is our hope. And then because the Lord is here, because the Lord is near, because we rejoice always, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What he's saying is, don't complain about the world. Rejoice. Rejoicing destroys complaint. Do you know what complaint says? Complaint says, God, you're doing it wrong. Complaint says, if you would just do it more like me, Jesus, then everything would be better. We don't have to look at that very long to realize how, like, off that is, right? Right? Hope says, God is at work in this. God is work in, working in sinful people whom I can't see it. God is working in people who aren't trying to follow him. He is seeking them. God is actively restoring and redeeming the world in accordance with his plan and his will because he is God and I am just here to tend the soil. That's the picture of the garden, Adam and Eve. Go tend the soil. Go multiply. Go love. Faith, hope, and love. The gospel, the good news in the scripture, the good news of Jesus' life. Are you ready? The good news of Jesus' life is that God loves to save and restore fallen people. God loves to find people that are far away from him and call them to himself. 
Do you? Do we love to call broken people here? We begin every Sunday with a confession. We're badly broken. What a welcoming place for broken people, right? Should be. I will say, I freaking love River City. I love our openness. I see you in public spaces working and practicing and praying to be kind and loving and gracious and generous. And I want to tell you, you blow me away. You make my pastor's heart happy. Don't quit. Don't give up. When people don't understand, when they don't get it, when they don't know, don't quit. Don't give up. Of course it's the narrow way. Most people won't. Most people will tell you, you got to stop. You got to be afraid. You got to do this. You got to don't, don't believe it. Believe Jesus. Believe the one who says that all good things are coming. Believe the one who says the kingdom is coming. So every sad thing is coming untrue. Be, believe the one who called you by name and love you. Build your life on faith and hope and love. When you have an opportunity to practice faith, do it. When you have an opportunity to hope for the best in someone, do it. Don't give up on hope. Don't give up believing that God can do something in a person's life. Don't give up hoping that God can do something in your life. I don't care about the addiction that you've given up on, that you've relapsed 100,000 times. The next one, get up, keep doing it. And when you fall next time, keep getting up. Keep asking for help. Listen, we're all broken. This whole world is broken, but it's not done yet. We're not done yet. And so Jesus says, you can't just listen to me. You can't just think about what I said. You can't even just believe me. You have to put into practice what I said. Because building a life on faith, hope, and love becomes transcendent. Because the kingdom is transcendent. And so I don't know everybody in here. And maybe you're in here and you thought Jesus just wanted you to be good or you thought Jesus just wanted you to be against this person, or you just whatever, whatever. I want to tell you, that's not what it's about. What Jesus wants to do is give you an eternal place in a kingdom that never runs out and to live out the purpose that he created for you, for your marriage, for your sexuality, for your identity, for your finances, for every part of you. Jesus has abundance. And what he says is, will you give up your way to follow my way? That's it. Will you give up your way to follow my way. And if you do, he says he would save you forever. And that begins now. Not someday when you die and you go sit on a cloud today, here. In just a second, I'm gonna pray. And if that's you, if you've never done that before, today's the day, will you pray that? Or maybe you are a Christian. Maybe you've been with Jesus and you've followed him. The question is, what are you giving your life to? Are you giving your life to morality? Are you giving your life to an institution? Are you giving your life to a job? Are you giving your life to money? What are you getting life, giving your life to? Because restoration only comes through obedience to the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you'll show us where we fall short. I pray that you'll show us, that you'll reveal us, as painful as it may be, that you would show us where we place our hope. And Lord, we right now acknowledge when you show us and when you begin to remove those things, it will feel scary. We will feel like death. But you are building something on a rock. And so we thank you. I pray for those in here who have never followed you today who say, Jesus, I, I want to I follow you. I want to stop doing it my way. I confess that my way was wrong and I want to start doing it your way. Will you give your spirit to me to lead me? And Jesus, I pray that you would do that. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your instruction, as difficult as it can be. Help us to wrestle in good faith, trusting you. 
We ask in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week, faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.